Hello and welcome to IOSH Magazine's podcast series. These podcasts will feature exclusive interviews with industry experts, behind-the-scenes discussions with members, and conversations with future leaders of the health and safety profession. Newly elected IOSH President Lawrence Webb discusses his emboldened approach for the coming year. Hello, Lawrence. Thanks for uh, joining us on the IOSH Magazine podcast today. It's great to have you here. Oh, it's absolutely it's absolutely fantastic to be here. Thanks for the invite. Looking forward to it. So congratulations on becoming the 56th president of IOSH. Um, as, as president-elect last year, you supported Louise um, mm. over the year. And as you've stepped into the presidential shoes, how do you hope to build on her achievements and the work that she's already taken forward? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And actually, it's really important because... The way that I've always approached this, and myself and Louise spent a lot of time talking through this, and, and I'm, I'm now talking to Stuart Hughes as the president-elect, um, who's, who's sort of going to come through the doors at the end of the year. It's really important for reasons of the likes of consistency, what I call sort of golden thread, so that you can actually show the membership and demonstrate that each president is sort of linked to what the last one was doing and you're building and building. So when I put my plans together, I actually sat down with Louise and looked at what she'd been doing to make sure that there was a a connection between us, but also an ability for me to help build and finish off on some of her themes. And you'll you'll see that with the likes of of EDI, for example, Um, but also that she's able to finish off what she was what she was doing so you know you do get that consistency in golden thread and it's so it's so important which is why we work so closely together um and it's uh yeah i think it's an essential part of the handover to be honest absolutely um louise was actually on the last episode of the podcast and she said exactly the same so um oh, yeah i definitely think it's worked really well the system works <laughs> <laughs> um so the profession um as a whole has made great strides forward in the last few years mm. Um, what's impressed you the most as you take on the presidential role? You know, I think I think there's a there's a couple of things actually. The first is the fact that um, you know the horrendous COVID scenario that, as we know, still rumbles on, um, has actually meant that I think that the value and the worth that the OSH profession actually brings to the global world of work has come really forward centre stage. Um, and I think that for those who didn't sort of see that value previously, we've actually been positioned through that horrendous scenario to to actually you know show what we show what we bring and and, and demonstrate um, you know the sort of flexibility and adaptability we've got, but also the fact we're an enabling profession. And for me, that's massive. You know, that the fact that we've been able to demonstrate that we will help you get stuff done. We're not about stopping you doing things. We're actually the opposite. We're about helping you doing things. And I, I've been really interested to watch that that happen, especially for those who've who've struggled previously. And I, I've got no doubt there's others that, that still want to want to do more. But our profession has absolutely stepped up and, mm. and shown our value. And I, I think the other thing is is over the last few years watching the next generation develop and and showing that brilliant diversity of thought and and different perspective, and the fact that they're they're hungry to learn you know with, within our profession and we're getting people attracted from lots of different places and that can only be a really good thing and that, that's become really noticeable to me in the last few years and I, I think it's it's a really good way of showing how our profession is changing um and the, the, the people are changing and their expectations are changing as well and that that's that's a good thing because that will just help us drive forward and 
increase that that influence I talked about earlier. That's such a good point, actually, that health and safety historically was seen um, as you know, the man with the clipboards telling you what you can't do. But actually that, that flip, how it's become an enabler is obviously going to, it's going to attract a lot more, like you say, the new generation into the profession. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think through the outputs that we're able to demonstrate and the fact we're right there at the sharp end, you know, up in the C-suite with the board members and actually able to demonstrate how we can make a difference through our our influence and support. You know, a lot of the our future leaders community, for example, mm-hmm. that I've spoken to have been really inspired by that opportunity. And I mean, I've never even owned a clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't say I haven't owned a grey suit because I do, I do have one. But I, you know, I've never owned a clipboard. And, and when you're talking to future leaders and sort of saying that, look, you know, this is not just um, an op- a, 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 a discipline whereby you're just going to go in and inspect and audit and point out the bad things. This is really an opportunity to affect an entire working population in a really, really positive way where you can genuinely sit back every day and go, wow, you know, what I've done today literally could have saved somebody's life, improved somebody's life, improved somebody's family life, and so on. And, I mean, who, who, can, who can say that? You know, and if you can see a trajectory of of a um uh, you know of, of your place in a particular profession going from early stages right into that you know that board level and you're mm. still influencing like that that's massively inspirational and uh, yeah I do lots of work with the future leaders they are absolutely you know the next next generation to us we need to we need to nurture that absolutely so obviously you've um alluded to sort of the main opportunities for the profession but what do you think the potential challenges for the profession over the next year and beyond yeah, I think I think maintaining that that momentum, keeping that going, and not allowing things to slip back to to the way that perhaps um, you know pe- people had seen us before. And I don't I don't think that will happen. Actually, I think as 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 the as the COVID world, I'm not going to say post COVID world because I'm not quite there yet, but we are on on that um, on that path. Hopefully, um, I think that because we've established ourselves so well, I you know I, I think people will actually see us and take us along on their journey rather than reverse it back. But um, there, there will be some who, who, are, who are challenged by that. And I've got no doubt that for others, they are still challenged uh, in, in terms of where our, where our profession sits in their organisation and, and, and how well you know, that, that, that expertise um, is, is looked upon. So I think there's still going to be a way to go. And we mustn't forget that although me sitting here going, oh, it's fantastic, it's much better than it used to be. It's not the same for everyone. So we can't take our foot off the gas. We still need to keep reinforcing the value that we bring. And I think that will be an ongoing um, challenge probably for for a long, long time, unfortunately. You bring a wealth of experience to the position as president. Um, You've worked in a diverse range of industries, including construction, defence, utilities and infrastructure, transport and logistics, research and academia. Um, So what insights from these sectors do you think you can bring to the table to shape your presidential year? Yeah, again, great, great question. And although that although my career might seem rather scattergun, it's actually been deliberate. And the yeah. reason it's been deliberate is because I started in one place and I've deliberately taken opportunities to move around and understand what the bigger picture and what that bigger world of work actually looks like. And the reason for that is because there are a number of, of foundation basics that 
that the, the, the Ofs profession takes wherever it goes. So things yeah. like, for example, I mean, you take a look at the Ofs competency framework. That's a really good place to start because that that skill set, that competency that sits within sort of the technical side, you know, the behavioural side, and so on. You can you can you can take that wherever wherever you go, along with principles of good leadership, good management, and obviously behavioural management are important. But the thing is, all of those experiences that I've had has meant that when I've gone into different sectors, especially bearing in mind that many of them do have joins, they, they might it might be a little bit grey, but they are joined up. Even for those that are completely separate, what it allows you to do is actually sit there and understand things from, from a different perspective, a different mm-hmm. point of view. And the fact that one sector might be very, very different to another, you can still bet your life that there is a, I don't know, I'm making this up, 20%. That's the same between them all, yeah. which means you've already got a foothold and, and a basic understanding. But coming back to that enabling piece, the more you can experience either within a sector or across sectors, the more you can take to others and actually start to show people that there are golden threads. There are opportunities that are, that are equal to all of us. And um, that's what I very much hope I can I can bring is that empathy piece. But I'm always willing to learn and put my hand up and say, Look, you know, I don't know about this. Teach me. I'm, I'm willing to learn, and, and that's good for me. And hopefully, I can pass that on to others as well. IOSH's global profile has arguably grown considerably in recent years um, through its increasing stakeholder collaborations, um, especially at international level. Uh, what do you think you can offer in terms of contributing to these important relationships and further support the OSH profession globally? Yeah. Um, well, I've been fortunate to work in lots of different places around the world over the over the years, and, and there's a number of things that we need to remember. I mean, cultures are different, motivators yeah. are different, drivers are different, and and sort of so on. And and you're absolutely right. Ars's profile is is growing and growing and continues to grow. I mean, we're we're close to thereabouts fifty thousand members across that sort of global global stage. So, um, I think. In terms of the part I can play is because I'm a I'm, I'm a natural collaborator. I like to get people together. I like to do things as us, not me, me, me. That's just not that's just not my my character. I don't have that sort of ego to to, to, to massage. So it's it's great to be able to pull people together. And 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 because I because I like doing that, what I'm hoping to be able to bring is the ability to to to, to listen to what people are saying. You know, discuss issues and communicate effectively, but in a very collaborative way across different disciplines as well and as IOSH is 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 sort of building its its foothold and, and representation on that that global stage they're dealing with so many different scenarios from from the highest level you know government ministerial positions that really really influence all the way down to to the workforce who are doing that sort of hard yards and what I what I hope I can do is just keep those conversations going, but hopefully infuse and sort of motivate people to have new conversations as well, mm. and take it to the next to the next stage. And and that you know that's what I do in my day job, and I love that. I'm very much hoping I'll get the opportunity to to do that in the uh, in the presidential role as well. Talking about the day job, so you're obviously at construction giant Castain. Um, you oversaw the ongoing development of the business's um, health and safety strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What skills, experiences and insights do you think you can bring to help take IOSH's new strategy forward? And what do you see being IOSH's strategic priorities? Right. OK, so um, so to answer that sort of first part in yeah. terms of what I can bring, I, I've, I've been lucky in that, that through my 
um, 30 years, I've, I've worked very operationally. So I know what it's like to be hands on and that poor individual who gets all this stuff that tumbles down here or lands on your doorstep and someone says, right, go and make that happen. I, I know what that's like. And I know what it's like to, to sort of do that. On the other hand, it, over the last, um, five, 10 years, where I've become more strategic, I can actually take the operational hat on and put the strategic hat on and understand what it's like to have to stand back, look at that big picture, look to the medium, the long and, and horizon scanning sort of terms. And um, I think I think that's that's uh, that's a great thing to be able to bring to, to the role of not just IOS president, which is the outward looking piece, but also chair of council within IOS, which is really important to represent the membership, you know, on behalf of those 50,000 people. And the fact I can actually put a strategic hat on, think about that, step back, and then put my operational hat on means that when I'm working with, you know, with, with council, for example, it means that we can place ourselves in the best position to be able to influence the board and represent the membership, but also understand what it's like for IOS, the organisation, to then take those things, take those things forward. And, um, that that isn't something that everybody's had the, the, the benefit of experience of. So I'm very keen, and I've already started doing it. Actually, is, is sort of trying to reset people and say, yeah, keep thinking, keep putting your strategic hat on because that's how we can we can really help IOSH at the highest level on the biggest stage. But then when you've done that, sit back and think, okay, so what does this look like in reality? What does it mean to be the people that go and do it? And and that's something I'm doing to to also build. Uh, a lot of really good relationships all the way across IOSH and, and council on behalf of the membership. And as for the strategic priorities, well, you're going to see those soon because we're about to launch the next five-year strategy, a uh, couple of yep. months' time. Really looking forward to that. I don't want to spoil the surprise on behalf of, <laughs> of IOSH, but clearly there's going to be things in there that extend from from work 2022 and building that international uh, aspect building the position of of IOSH as a discipline within the the working world, and I'm I'm really excited because I'm so lucky to be there at the time when that's going to happen. And my background means I completely get it, and I, don't, I can't yeah. wait to get started on that one. Yeah, it's a good year for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm very um, you mentioned EDI at the top of this episode. Yeah. Um, we we know that you're a huge champion of diversity and new talent. How successful do you think IOSH has been in recent years in reflecting both? I've been watching closely as as things have developed, and you, you can see through the through the the strategic priorities that underpinned work twenty twenty two that there was a recognition that that you know new talent is the future, and we absolutely need to support the future. They've been doing lots to support student members, getting people to to pull themselves through the whole membership structure and develop themselves, uh, and therefore sort of develop the whole. The whole discipline, and I've also watched with, with interest how the likes of Louise and others as presidents have also said, "Look, there is massive power in diversity and diversity of thought, and the fact that if you can get everybody in a room together and get the widest possible set of views, then that's always going to going to land well." So, um, as as IOSH I think has developed, you know, it's got a new head of. EDI in place. You know, we've got people specifically um, engaged in the Future Leaders program that actually know what it's like being within that generation and what needs to happen to make them successful and give them the airtime that's that's necessary. And and you know, fifty thousand people on the global stage, every one of us is different. Mm. So w- what I'm sort of bringing along is is a is a reflection on neurodiversity because we are all different. 
you know, everybody, it's a fact, everybody is different, even if it's in just in the tiniest way. But um, the fact that there is such neurodiversity, but also such a huge opportunity that comes with that. In the last few years, I've been talking about this, you know, within IOSH, and they've actually, they picked it up. Mm. It's part of the plan for this year and next year and going on. So I, there's lots of work to do, and there always will be, but I've definitely noticed that IOSH are, uh, are building on this, even down to elements of the way that they communicate and they plan communications for the for the membership and others, you know, different people, different needs. What do we need to do to make sure it lands properly to make a difference? And uh, totally support that. And a third, I should say, a third of council is also now from the international community, and we need to keep building on that as well, which is which is fantastic. Just makes us stronger every time. Absolutely. Staying with diversity, um, yeah. Osh has undoubtedly become increasingly diverse, as you've just um, spoken about, and more and more women have joined in recent years. Um, you talked before about how it offers great opportunities, but have questioned whether the profession has truly maximised the benefits that can be gained from the neurodiversity that exists. Mm. So how would you like to take both diversity? Well, I know you've just mentioned diversity and neurodiversity forward this year. Mm. Uh, again, you know, I, I came up with my my plan, my, pres- my, my presidential sort of plan and the focus areas, if you like, um, 12 months ago. And I deliberately sat down and reflected on what's happened previously and also the work I've done with Louise and, and, mm. and the, the few focus areas that, that, that I want to particularly pick up. One of them was, was neurodiversity because from a personal perspective, my, my daughter's got autism and I've learned a completely different way of seeing the seeing the world and sort of you know maximizing the opportunity that comes with that so when I put my plan together and I I fed that deliberately into um into IOSH and presented it at at the board as well everyone looked at each other and went this is brilliant because it, it it resonates with the strategy and where we're where we're going in the future so um you know as i've said earlier in terms of you know communications and what have you that it very much you know i ask we're reviewing the way we communicate to make sure it lands properly and it's, it's presented in a way um, that, it, that is inclusive but also that we open up channels to make sure that information can come in the other direction and people can can have those sensible conversations with us in terms of how to be more inclusive from that from that perspective and there is a whole plan around neurodiversity and in fact i had a meeting just yesterday with with the relatively new head of of edi we're planning um some some uh some webinars based on really understanding what it what it means generally but what it means for the profession what it means for employers what it means for the individuals how we can sort of maximize those those benefits um and i'm actually going out as part of my branch meetings talking to 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 people about this and it's landing really well it's amazing how many people have said Look, the theory's great. Some people are still sort of scared about the, the, the whole concept of it. We understand the theory, but if you can educate us and actually show us the benefits and start making the most of this opportunity, we're absolutely on board. So, yeah, that's really exciting for me. And I'm, I'm actually surprised just how much I should have picked it up and said, yeah, we're going to do that. That's, that's really important. So, yeah, great news, great news for me. And I think great news for our, our discipline as well. Um, so st- sticking with your plans for this year, you've previously said that you want to support smaller um, global organisations yeah. and their supply chains. Do you have any specific plans this year for how you'd like to take this work forward and what specifically can be done to drive improvements in these areas? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's a massive topic area, actually. Yeah. And, and the, the reason I was thinking about it is in my day job, I have to be very focused on the fact that, you know, Costain as an organization is, is, it varies between three and a half to 4,000 people, depending on the, the, the contracts we've got going. Mm-hmm. But then with our supply chain, there's nearly 18,000 people that we need to think about. And we're, we're very much a, a family in the way that we sort of work. And what that means is that when you go out to the wider world of work, there's that sort of 80%, if you like, of people who are there doing the hard yards through a number of different tiers. And I've watched over 30 years of working with all these different companies in different countries. And I'm not personally entirely convinced that the messaging gets through to that 80%. And there's quite often, um, uh, um, for all the right reasons at the time, perhaps, a focus on the big corporates with the established cultures, all the resources they need and the understanding and the fact they're sort of on board with the whole uh, with, with the whole OSH agenda. But but actually, they need the 80 percent. So what I'm going to do, bearing in mind, I only have 12 months, but then uh, another year as immediate past president, you know, I'll keep I'll keep showing the same message. But it's just reminding people that you cannot do it on your own. Have you really thought about what it is that you're trying to achieve from an OSH perspective, but down through your ecosystem, your entire supply chain? Do you engage with them? Do you ask? Can you do anything to support them? Is there a feedback loop so they can come to you and, and ask for, for help or clarification? Or is your is your strategy, is your approach scalable? Because some of these smaller organizations are literally one or two people who had huge value, but they are one or two people compared to 4,000 people. And and there is a massive differential there. So are you really thinking about that? And I'll just keep asking that question because I can't solve that one in 12 (laughs) months. But what I definitely want to do is get people thinking about it um, and, and creating the opportunities to, you know, to, to work right across their, their ecosystem. Massively important, massively important. You've also posed a healthy challenge to employers and asked them whether they have done enough to eliminate harm at source. What do you see as being the biggest challenges and barriers to eliminating harm? Um, In simple terms, thinking differently, um, because thinking differently means you need to change in some way. And change, as we know, is a a huge thing. uh, And it always... Uh, you know, always causes, you know, opportunities, but also lots of challenges. Um, so I, I think, I mean, the, the reason I'm saying this is that um, for so many years, we've, we've lived with this hierarchy of control that, that, that everybody knows about, everybody understands, but it always seems to be that we default to the second level down, if not the third, because it's safe, we know it, um, you know, there's, uh, we're, we're set up for it. But actually, if we move that, that challenge up, the stream to where really it's supposed to start, which is, do we really need to do this? Can we not just get rid of the source of the problem? Then um, so many things would, would be would be sorted out as a, as a result. You're not managing lots and lots and lots of different management systems or controls that ultimately, you know, also have their own their own problems when you bring them in. So, so my challenge is, is okay. It's not easy to actually sit back and say, fundamentally, we might have to make some big changes here, but with the technologies and the insights that we've got now, with some of the strides forward in, in terms of the way that the larger organizations are really, really investing in their, in their people, you know, can we not afford to do this anymore? 
And eliminating harm, you know, looking after your most important asset, which is your people, has to be a number one priority. And again, I can't force everyone to do that. But what I can do is keep saying to people, have you really thought about this? Have you actually challenged yourself? Have you spoken to the people in your supply chain? Are you dealing with your customers and your clients or all the other stakeholders that are trying to influence you that you're also trying to influence in reverse? Have you really sat and thought about this? Because I can tell you from examples and and from my personal experience that where you eliminate harm it is like throwing a stone in a pond and you can watch those positive ripples move out and it's amazing how solving just one thing and changing one thing can have such a big impact so we should absolutely do it Uh, it, it's it's got to be the next uh, the next step forward and um I, i will keep promoting that for as for as long as i'm doing what i'm doing to be honest it's it's too big an opportunity not to can we afford not to Definitely. Um, When I interviewed Louise last month, I asked her a question and she actually said it was one of the best questions she's ever ever been asked. So I thought, as the new IOSH president, I need to put it to you as well. What previous IOSH presidents have inspired you the most? Crikey, that that is now that is an interesting question, isn't it? Because every every president brings something different. That they've all been very very different characters so you know i i look back at louise and, and think about the the genuine sort of passion for the subjects and, and how much she was she was driven by her her focus areas and and the huge difference that she's actually made to the to the structure and impact of council that i'm i'm now taking taking forward after the period of change we've now got a restructured council which is already producing some incredible outputs on behalf of the membership and that that was you know that was that was Louise's foresight. I look back at Jimmy and I think what a powerful guy that went out there and absolutely people remember Jimmy because of his larger than life, you know, character and the, um, uh, and, and the communication that he brought into the membership. And actually when you go back through presidents, there's lots that I've worked with who are just so different. I mean, you know, Craig was fantastic as a very much people person. Vincent was great in terms of the fact he had the, you know, the global stage. Andrew Sharman is a larger than life character who you could put on a stage and, and everybody sort of sits there and goes, wow, there, there's a, there's, there's a guy to follow. You know, I, I worked with Lawrence Waterman personally, and he's a really, really nice guy who's made some huge achievements in his career, but he's very, very um, humble in, in, in himself. I mean, it's really, it's re- I can't actually say that one or two people because the last 20 presidents I've had firsthand experience with, and I think they've all brought something um that has been different and unique and the main thing is none of them have been the sort of people where you've gone oh i'd forgotten about them they've all brought something that you've remembered and i'm fortunate now to be working with karen mcdonnell as a as a previous president as well who's still there giving her time you know her voluntary time as we all do she's still there after all these years as a member of council doing what she does making a difference and many of the other presidents are as well. I mean, it's um, it, it's it's quite humbling, really, to be a part of that that list of, of of individuals. And I just hope that I do it my piece of justice, really. But it is a good question. <laughs> what do you hope your legacy will be? I think a couple of things, really. I, I think the um, the sort of natural drive and motivation and enthusiasm, and and hopefully showing that next next generation that this is absolutely a discipline you want to be a part of 
and, and build on and, and organizations and employers seeing it like that as well. Cause I, I can't help but be naturally enthusiastic about what I do because I love it and I believe in it and I've seen the benefits of it. And I've been there at the worst times when people haven't, you know, taken, taken the subject as seriously as they should have done. And, and for me, that's an absolute driver. And I, I, I think the other thing is, is to do what I've been saying and that's, you know, bring that, that, that golden thread, that consistency between presidents that myself and Louise have had and myself and Stuart are already working together on how we bring things forward and, and create that stability, but that impact. You know, I would much rather do one or two big things that land well and make a difference than try and do 20 things that never really get finished and maybe maybe one of them works out quite well, but the rest disappear. I'd yeah. like to be remembered as the, as the, the you know the, the person who did those things and and took council to its next step because since the the, the reorganisation um, you know the, the potential there to to re, uh, um, reflect the, the membership straight into the board and really influence them and then be able to demonstrate with outputs to the membership you may not have seen this before but trust me this is all the stuff we are doing. You know, on your behalf, we watch LinkedIn, we watch Twitter, we look at the post, we take your feedback. It doesn't go into a black hole. It comes out of the other side and this is what it looks like. And now Stuart's going to carry on the same thing. For me, that would be huge. And I'd be really, really happy with that. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing um, how your presidential year goes. I'm sure you're going to be very, very busy. Um, <laughs> but thank you for taking the time to speak to us on the podcast today, Lawrence. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, here's to the next one. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. See you next month for another conversation on all things health and safety.